Welcome to Dad Explaining, a weekly chronicle of all the weirdest, messiest, grossest, and funniest parts of fatherhood hosted by two first-time dads. I'm Jesse. And I'm Brandon. And today, to close out 2020, we are going to take a look back at some of the conversations that we've had over the year and just kind of bring the highlights, some of the best facts we've learned, some of the fun moments, some helpful tips that we picked up along the way, and share them with you in a handy-dandy condensed form. Uh, but before we get into today's episode, Brandon, if our listeners want to reach out to us with questions or comments, where could they find us? Please give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Dadsplaining Podcasts. You can email us directly at dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can check out this and every episode anywhere you get your podcasts. Exactly. And while you're at it, please do us a favor and subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. And if you would be so kind, drop us a review, especially on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, uh, whatever it is that it's called these days. I don't have uh, an iPhone, so I don't really know for sure. Uh, but that is the easiest way to help us expand our reach and connect with more parents. We've also got a parenting group on Facebook. Just search Dadsplaining a Parenting Group, and we will uh, gladly let you in. It's a great place to connect with other parents in a similar phase of life, ask questions, share complaints, share stupid memes. That's the majority of what we do on the group, uh, and we'd love to have you. Brandon, how, uh, how are you and Noah and Austin doing? It's been a couple weeks since we've recorded yeah the net net is that we're good um we'll maybe talk about this in like a longer episode but we went through like a covid exposure at noah's daycare right before the holidays so he's been home with us for the last almost two weeks and we got maybe you know about half a week more until the new year when he can go back good news is it seems like only the one kid who we learned was uh, positive is positive we haven't heard of any other cases uh, we tested Noah. He's fine. He's negative. And so everyone's been good on our side, but you know, just fun little stuff like that to throw out at the holidays. Yeah, and, that's um, exactly what we need. It's just, yeah, just like really disappointing um, to like close out 2020 with like the most 2020 thing, mm -hmm. a pandemic uh, COVID scare. Um, but like I said, we're fortunate. Everybody's okay. And then, um, you know, we, we had Christmas. Uh, we're recording this just after. And so uh, in another terrible, wonderful 2020 fashion, like we've, we've been kind of test piloting Noah on like Santa conversation, right? He's pretty mm -hmm. like excited about when Santa is brought up, even if he doesn't quite get it, uh, like if he sees Santa inflatables and like other things, he's like, Santa, you know, he gets that. And so we asked him, like, what do you want from Santa? Just kind of probing. And like every time he would always say, I want a cement mixer and an excavator. Aha. Uh -huh. What he always wants. This is my son. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our podcast, he's all about the construction equipment. Mm -hmm. And so we knew by God, we had to get a cement mixer <laughs> and an excavator <laughs> for Christmas if we did nothing else. And so we did. Uh, my wife is very on top of her game. She ordered something back in November. Nice. And uh, we found out about three days before Christmas that it wasn't coming. Uh. It wasn't going to make it. It's like, how do you order sooner than before December? Yeah. And to beat the holiday rush, I guess mm -hmm. I don't, that's what never really made any sense. And so that just really pissed us off. Um, and we're just like, come on now. Like this is the one thing the kid wants, right? Like he's going to get plenty of toys, but this is the one thing he really asked for. Right. We got lucky. We found another one that we were ah. able to get in time, which is just even more annoying that they couldn't fulfill on the first one. Um, so he did have a cement mixer and an excavator to open up on Christmas. And he does Good. love the cement mixer. Um, but it's just, man, it was infuriating just going through the process and then like frantically spending like two days trying to find another cement mixer that we could get. 
at the last minute. And like you hear of other people whose like packages aren't coming and aren't delivered. Like, I think we still had some things that we didn't get people on time and other people had stuff they didn't get us on time. It just felt like you couldn't win. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of annoying. And then you find a bunch of other random stuff that you can't get. So um, that was, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people went through it. It wasn't fun, but we still had a good time. Noah enjoyed himself. Uh, Christmas was pretty good on our end. So uh, all told, it worked out okay. Good, good. <laughs> How was uh, the last uh, couple of weeks been for you guys? How the holidays go? It's been great. The holidays went great. David got a lot of fun stuff. Um, it's funny, the biggest like gift that we were excited to give him was um, one of those, I guess a riding car is what you would call mm -hmm. it. It's, the, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's a motorized car that the kid can get in and drive around yeah. and you can also remote control it. Um, we went in three ways with my parents and my wife Ashley's parents on that. And um, he was really excited when he saw it on the front porch and he hopped in and then we got him to drive and he went about two feet and then it was pretty clear that it was like too much for him to handle. <laughs> I, I think he's not quite ready for the road. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he hopped right out and just wanted us to drive it for him. Um, so that's kind of, that's how that went. Everything else went well. He got a lot of fun gifts. Uh, you know, in another episode, we can go through uh, some of the stuff that we got for them mm -hmm. and talk about, uh, because there was a lot of good educational gifts, you know, some skill yeah. building kind of things that we'll go through. Um, but he's been having a lot of fun with all that. And the big news over the past week or so is that we've begun hardcore transitioning from diapers to um, kid, you know, big boy underpants, nice. um, the training underwear. And that yeah. is going about as well as you can expect it to go, <laughs> uh, which um, means we've got two to three very wet pairs of underwear a day that we're having to toss in the washing machine. Um, he's getting better. Um, and mostly that's because we are like every 30 minutes being like, okay, drop everything or go in potty and I've caved in. I am kind of anti-tablet usually because it just annoys me that he gets sucked into it. Mm -hmm. But I've caved in on the tablet because it's a good way to keep him occupied on the toilet. And you kind of just have to let them sit there, you know, until yeah. they go. And sometimes that's five minutes. Sometimes that's like 30 minutes, yep. um, you know, in order to avoid an accident. So that's going to be another few weeks. Like I'm sure just getting him used to the idea of you do not go potty in your big boy underpants do you understand mm -hmm. that's kind of a hard uh concept to get ingrained but we're getting there um slowly it's just very kind of messy in the meantime so folks as we mentioned today is uh well as we're recording this and hopefully publishing it if i can get it edited in time this is the last day of 2020 and I mean, let's just be honest, it's been a hell of a year. It's been, there have been ups and downs, mostly downs. Um, but what I've really enjoyed this year is Brandon and I have gotten to do a lot of cool stuff here on Dad Splitting. We've had some really interesting conversations. We've had interviews with authors and we've just covered topics. Just the two of us opened up about some really personal things that have been going on with the pandemic and, you know, our mental health and everything else. And so we thought it would be a great opportunity just to pick some of the best nuggets from uh, almost all of the episodes that we've done. We did. I mean, 30 to 40 episodes this year. And here are just some of the, the highlights. And uh, we're gonna kick it off with the first episode that we did this year. And Brandon, why don't you give us a little taste of what that's about? No one is sure when that moment will hit that you feel a distinct bond with your child. For some, it happens at birth or during the pregnancy phase itself. Jesse and I talk about what helped us feel connected to our kids during the pregnancy phase or pre-dad and how it can be amazing to just jump in headfirst. What I would recommend as something that I think we both did a pretty good job at and that benefited both of us is being present um, as often as possible for, for instance, oh, yeah. doctor's visits. 
yeah. um, and the checkups and everything along the way, all the classes that you got to take together for the right. baby in the pregnancy phase. I mean, as a dad, there's just not a lot going on for you mm-hmm. um, in the pregnancy phase. You're not the one being pregnant. You're exactly. doing nothing, guys. Yeah. Like, spoiler alert. So- to me, it always made complete sense to want to be involved in all of the steps because that's the only way you're going to get in the game, basically. Yeah. I mean, you need to be supporting your wife through mm-hmm. the process, but like, if you want to do something that kind of feels like you're a part of the process, go to the doctor's visits. Understand yeah. what's happening. Definitely. And it's it's one of those things where if you're a very busy person, um, it's, it's easy in your mind to kind of start to think like, okay, well, is this one that I absolutely have to be at? Or can you just do it and give me the results afterwards? And and I get it. And you can't be at 100% of them, sure, sometimes. But do your best, like make a real effort to get in there and be as involved and knowledgeable as possible. Um, Reading the books is a big way to help to start kind of visualize yourself as a parent. Even the pregnancy books that don't really talk about the dad, they just talk about the mom. If you understand what the mom is going through, it, it it just helps to build that emotional relationship. On D-Day, which I like to call D, you know, D, delivery, delivery day. day. Um, or in your case, multiple days. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Be there, be as close to the action as possible. You know, we talked about um, in like one of our first two episodes, you know, they gave you the option, where do you want to be when the baby is born? Do you want to yeah. see what's happening? And uh, your instinct is probably going to be like, no, I don't really want to, you know, yeah. get the, the rated R version of it. Yeah. Um, but it's... It, if you choose to do that, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to kill your no. perception of your wife. It really shouldn't. Um, and uh, it's it's just going to be part of that miracle of life. Yeah. I just um, say that, again, same kind of thing. Is what You'll be surprised if you just put yourself in there. Um, and I'll try not to always just use the sports metaphors, but put yourself in the game. Like just by being around the action, you'll just get in. You'll just get involved. Yeah, just go with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, they recommend cutting the cord if that's something that's offered to you. Again, it sounded disgusting and weird, uh-huh. and then they offered, and I was just like, done. But their their recommendation, which I agree with, is to say yes to whatever opportunity is given to you to be a participant there in everything Perfect. from the pregnancy to the birth, the delivery. Um, just be there and and say yes. You know, you might not think, okay, this is going to help me be closer to my kid. Like, it might not have any obvious benefit, but it really is. It's going to help you realize that this is a real thing. Yeah. Um, because for me, it the pregnancy phase, it all, like, I was all for it. Like, I'm all yeah. in. Like, yeah. I'm on board with all of this, right? But it, I hope so. Exactly. Yeah. Looking yeah. back. Yeah, what am I going to do? Back. What am I going to say? Actually, he's not on board. <laughs> Um, but it didn't really feel 100% real to me until I saw my kid. Oh, yeah. You know, until he's out and I walk over to the uh, the incubation thing that they've got him in immediately after birth to clean him up. Um, and I get to look into his eyes for the first time. Mm. Um, and that's when I'm like, oh, that's a human. Yeah. And I'm its dad. And that's when it started to feel real to me. But I think it helped that I had all of that preparation, that I was present for Mm -hmm, so many mm -hmm. of these steps in the preparation phase, that uh, emotionally I was prepared to feel that connection. Yeah, Because it happened for me at birth. It doesn't happen for every dad at birth. Yeah, it just felt like it kind of rolled right into it. Exactly. It felt like it was a never-ending thing. Like, yeah, the Mm -hmm. birth ends, and then you move on to everyone's, you know— Yep. Everyone's out and going, but yeah. it's just like it didn't stop. You no, just, like there's no like break. Yeah, you just keep going. It's not like the end of a movie where you know, like the end of Knocked Up, where they have the baby and then roll credits, cut to two years later, they have the birthday party. Like right. it, there's a lot that happens it after just the keeps birth. Going and yeah. so you just kind of roll right mm-hmm. on into it. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife, who was watching, was texting me, and she's like. Uh, she put it very nicely, of course, uh, the, the Hallmark style that she that she can approach it. She's like, it felt like we already knew him. 
before he was here. Oh, yeah. And so it's just like we already knew who he was. Mm -hmm. We already knew he was ours, and we were already with him the whole process. And then he came out and then, you know, just kept on going. Every journey to parenthood looks a little different, and some roads are smoother than others. This spring, we sat down with Charlie Morgan, an Atlanta radio host and mom of two, and talked with her about her experience with in vitro fertilization. We did another transfer at the end of September, beginning of October of 2018, and again, it failed. Hmm. Wow. Um, and I, I took the day off from work. Um, that Once I got that phone call, I did not I just needed to be home and yeah. I needed to cry and I needed to cry in private and alone and sure. be mad and um yeah it's still hard to talk about no I understand. um it was it was it, you think that it's so easy and it's not mm-hmm. and then you start beating yourself up well right. my husband did his part like it's fine it's me why is my body doing this to mm-hmm. me like maybe I'm supposed to be a mom of just one <laughs> child like I want to but that's okay mm-hmm. um and we decided with the holidays coming up, let's take some time off. Um, we're going into the busiest time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll reevaluate in January with the with the thinking of we're done with this mm-hmm. because each transfer is about five thousand dollars. Yeah, wow. so we've spent ten thousand dollars and we have nothing to show. Right. Um, so the thinking was when we pick back up in January, mm-hmm. we're going to go down the adoption road. That's mm-hmm. just where we're headed. Wow. Um, and that was again October when we found out that it was failed October fifth. Um, the next month, found out um, I was pregnant. Well, I guess it was uh, next month I got pregnant. Right. Um, and we found out a few days before Christmas wow. that I was pregnant naturally. Not naturally, yeah. Naturally, like you can't completely. Make this stuff up. No. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've always been a little reluctant to tell that story because when you are going through. In any kind of infertility, even if you don't know what's wrong with you, you're you're struggling to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. The thing everyone says is, oh, just relax. It'll happen. Try this position. Mm -hmm. Try this food. Everyone, just relax. It'll happen. It is so cliche. Mm -hmm. um, And I hated hearing it. And it yet is the reason (laughs) I have my daughter. Uh Um, Is We were not trying by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, to get pregnant and it happened. It was very odd and yeah. I I don't want the eye rolls but I also want people that have gone through this to know th- there is hope. Like yeah. you, you, There's hope. You yeah. can change your narrative a little bit. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I'm really glad that you told that story because it's, and I assume that that's typically not what happens no. in the case of uh, you know in vitro fertilization or fertility right. journeys and, and all that and yet it happened for you guys in it, kind of a miraculous way that you weren't expecting right. at all uh, I mean I think it's such a cool story but it's also it just goes to show that there are I mean there are a million ways to have a family and no wrong way that uh, yeah like we've talked before in the very beginning of our podcast uh, at the time we were talking about breastfeeding because our you know we were new families and you know, it's same situation. Everyone gives you all this advice. You know, oh, if the baby doesn't take, then try this, try that. Formula's best. No, natural is no, best. Breast is best. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone's. And, and so, you know, what mm. we came away with was, well, if the baby eats, that's best. Thank you. You know fed what I mean? Like what best. works is fed <laughs> yes. is best, you know? And I think that the same kind of theme applies mm-hmm. here. You know, you could say, well, natural is the best way to go. Oh, no. Well, IVF is this, but you don't want to do that. If you get to a family. You know, if you get the baby and you and your and your partner can raise that child, mm-hmm. that's best. Right. No matter which 
road you take to yes. get there. Yeah, and and thank and it's all thanks to science that mm-hmm. we're, that I'm even here with a family. Sure, um, there is a. Not even going to get into it. There is like a religious mm-hmm. aspect of you're playing God, mm-hmm. making a baby that mm-hmm. you obviously cannot do yourself kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I just very politely just smile and mm-hmm. bless your heart and just yeah. kind of go on about your day kind no, of thing. Yeah. Um, it's there is no wrong way. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right. It's just um, everybody's story is different. Yeah. And however you get to the end is fine. Coming up with fun ideas to entertain the kids is always hard, and it's even harder when it's raining. We cover our favorite ideas for what to do on rainy days, including libraries, indoor playgrounds, museums, coffee shops, and more. Talking about rainy days, they're a struggle for parents because you got to go somewhere to get that kid's energy out, but you can't go to the park, you can't be outside. Like It does limit you a little bit. When you've got the kids, I think any kind of a local museum and then there's things like an aquarium mm-hmm. um any kind of a, a place that has like an indoor you know covered area yeah. is like a clear and obvious go-to mm-hmm. um and then um kind of ancillary to that i would say is this concept of the indoor playground yep and the kids can just go and kind of be free and wild and crazy run around play with toys there's other kids around they can play or not play with the other kids yeah um and just kind of hang out a lot of libraries i i would say probably most of these days at least in our area um ha- have not just a good kids section but um things for them to do outside mm-hmm, of just mm-hmm. picking up books and sitting and reading them um our local library in coming georgia has um like lego tables and nice. even like at, at the edge of each aisle of books there are things like on the bookshelf for them to play with like puzzle toys and things cool and then they've also got like rows of computers that are free to use you know that have kids games on them and stuff um the second one is a little unconventional um but uh, what has worked for us is actually finding a quiet local coffee shop mm, um, yeah, to yeah. take the take the family out to. And it's great for primarily for mom and dad because you get to caffeinate. <laughs> and uh, as as adults, we kind of need that when there's oh, a yeah. toddler running around. Um, but if it's, you know, not a busy Starbucks, uh, if, you know, if it's something a little uh, a little quieter, a mm-hmm, little more room mm-hmm. to run around and, you know, not so many people standing waiting for their lattes. Um, there's room for the kid to kind of explore. The third thing that uh, works for us and what we kind of go to most of the time, especially when it's too rainy to even leave the house, is just to find things to do around the house. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing is uh, something that you don't want to do too often but is kind of a nice family activity is just a movie day. Uh, there's There's a great way to do it. Um, that isn't just plopping the kid in front of the TV and turning it on and letting him stare at it for two hours, um, which, you know, we're all guilty of it. I've done that. Um, but to kind of enhance the experience for everybody is to kind of actively watch the movie. And this is what I'll try to do sometimes with David, where I'll sit him next to me on the couch or I'll put him in my lap and we'll talk throughout the movie about mm. what's going on. And I'll, I'll give one final shout out, which is almost sounds counterintuitive, but on a rainy day, don't be afraid to go outside. Yeah, You know, it's kind of an experience for kids where when you were the kid, you didn't care about rain. Yeah, You just wanted to have fun. And if you're like most kids, you actually want to jump in the puddles. Exactly. So, you know, we are trying to think about that as well of like, is it terrible outside? Okay, if it's not too terrible, maybe we'll just throw on the boots um, and, you know, we could go to the park. Mm-hmm. We also talked with Brittany from the Growing Our Family podcast about the process of taking parental leave when the baby comes. During our chat, Brandon shared his experience with taking time off and gave a really helpful breakdown of how and when to apply for leave. Short-term disability, which um, if we want to just mention how that works real quick, like you have to plan for that 
short-term disability covers, I think it's like 60% um, I think so. of your total salary. So again, this is not even a full stopgap. This is a two-thirds, not even, um, for your compensation, which is great to have something. But mm-hmm. you have to, I believe the way it worked is you have to sign up for short-term disability and kind of pay into it. It's, it's kind of almost like insurance where you're paying into it a little bit to have the coverage because they know you're eventually going to use it probably, just mm-hmm. like an insurance. And so you have to pay into it for a year uh, before you can take the time off under short-term disability. So when we talked about the planning and kind of really feeling comfortable with the whole we're having a kid and telling everybody, like we planned it out really a year plus in advance because we knew that the if we wanted to have a kid um, you know, in 2017, we had to start planning for it in 2016. They had to sign up um, at the beginning of 2016 for a short-term disability so that by the time 2017 rolled around, they could actually take advantage of it. Yeah. And we had to plan, so much as I can say, the conception, if you will, um, <laughs> to line up well enough with that that mm-hmm. we didn't uh, undershoot it. Romantic, isn't it? <laughs> right, where they couldn't um, take advantage of that. So, I mean, there there was a good amount of planning from that perspective. Um, and then the other piece to it is I, I can't remember how long short-term disability covers, but it doesn't cover as long as FMLA, I don't think. I'm not sure. I want to say it covers maybe 10 weeks, maybe. That sounds, um, that sounds and, right. And I apologize for not having the numbers in front of me. Um, it's been just long enough. But it, it covers a certain period of time, just like FMLA does, and it's not full compensation. So uh, I think Jesse mentioned that they also had to play the game of you know time off. And accruing it, my wife was was at least fortunate in the fact that um, she has a company policy where like sick leave and annual leave um, to some degree can roll over from year to year. Mm-hmm. And so she saved up a lot of sick leave and, and annual leave to be able to take several months off so that she could take, I think it was like three plus months off herself um, for the first you know three months. And then, yes, I had time off. But the way that we planned that was that she would do you know roughly the first three months and then I would come in and do the next three months so that we'd have six months uninterrupted care um, of one of us at home with our son. So there, I mean, there's a lot of planning that goes into it yeah. and you just kind of have to understand um, exactly what you want to do. And it's not too difficult to plan it. I'm, I'm not trying to make it sound tough, but as long as you kind of look into your options and double check all the benefits with your employer, you can you can do the best you can to set it all up. When you become a parent, you feel like you leave behind some or all of who you were. We talk about the parenting identity, how it differs from our identity before kids. You can feel sad about losing some of yourself, but it's really not black and white. It's a mix of emotions, good and bad, and we dig into how we personally feel going through it. I love being a dad, Mm -hmm. and I'm all about doing it, and I love being that person uh, more than I loved just not doing it. Sure. Obviously, it yeah. was the idea, Agreed. right? You, yeah. you you think you want to do it, but then on the other side, I can kind of say now with some confidence, because I'm experiencing it, that no, it was a good choice. It mm-hmm. was the right choice. I, I like doing it. But it's it's always tough, because you, you have those kind of same thoughts of like, well, 18 years until I get my life back. <laughs> um, it's true. Sure, I, I thought I wanted one, but then it's just like moving back the clock on an, until I can be alone again. I get it. <laughs> no, I totally just, understand that. This is like the day-to-day struggle. You don't need to feel bad for feeling bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the opening statement here is like, it's okay to have what you might consider bad thoughts yeah. or negative thoughts mm-hmm. or just even mixed thoughts. Yeah. Um, we know that there are days when the kid won't stop crying. Yeah. And then we know there are days when they laugh a ton and you have a great day. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think about it as like, oh, it was a good day or a bad day. Yeah. That right there just shows there's a good and bad 
all throughout. Oh, yeah. And so it's not wrong to have those same thoughts mm-hmm. um, of, man, I'm not sure about this <laughs> parenting thing yeah. on any given day, or I'm not sure how I'm doing, or I'm not sure if I'll ever get back to what it was. So I, that's just such a real emotion. It is. Um, you know, and it's kind of those thoughts like, man, I, I would love to catch a late show at the theater, you know, this yeah. Saturday night, you know, with my wife, go out and see a movie or, you know, go out on the town, get some dinner. But, ah, uh, shoot, well, the baby's got to be in bed by 7 and we can't find a sitter. And you start to feel kind of cramped, you know, and it's 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 not constant. It's complex. Like you mm-hmm. said, it's a mix of positive and negative. Uh, I mean, I can agree with what you said at the beginning. Like, I love the identity of dad so much more than I, you know, want to cling to that old identity of Jesse. But it's still yeah. there. Like, it's still that thing in the closet in your mind that's like, man, would love to uh, to break that out of storage, dust it off and be, you know, mm-hmm. be like old Jesse for the day. And, you know, yeah. to see what I would do with that time, which was not incredibly productive, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but true. it's there. That ambivalent feeling is it's so natural. And like you said, we feel bad for feeling it because, like, shouldn't I feel great? You know, about being a parent all the time. The truth is no. Uh, Any parent will tell you that, like especially the ones that have been in the game for a long time. Like it's okay to kind of feel those resentful feelings or that kind of guilt of like, man, I'm not doing a great job today. Um, Mm -hmm. And to separate that from what she she makes a great distinction between guilt and shame, which I thought was cool. Like guilt is like, yeah, I feel bad that I didn't pay 100 percent attention to my kid today because I had a conference call to take it home. Mm -hmm. Shame is like. Oh, I'm such an awful parent and I will always be an awful parent because I did this one bad thing this one time. Right. Um, and, you know, to kind of differentiate that and understand that, you know, maybe I'm feeling guilty and I don't need to be in the situation because maybe this wasn't as bad as I'm making it out to be. Maybe it was bad, this one thing I did and I can correct it and move forward. But none mm-hmm. of that means that I am, you know, irrevo- irrevocably. That is a hard word to say out loud. Yeah, nailed it. Uh, okay, yeah, that I'm irrevocably a bad parent and that's never going to change. <laughs> yeah, I find that you just have to kind of feel okay about it. You're going to feel crappy mentally, um, emotionally. You're going to have those down moments. Yeah. They don't go away. Yeah. They happen. But I do find myself acknowledging the happy moments and being like, wow, this is really great. And mm-hmm. I'll I'll try also to then think about um, when it sucked yeah. a little bit earlier, uh-huh. even five minutes earlier, or a lot of the times, like as soon as the kid goes down, I don't know if you guys do this, but I almost kind of debrief yeah. with my wife or at least mentally myself as uh-huh. well and be like, huh, okay, like there were good moments and yeah. those outweigh the bad moments. At the very onset of the pandemic, Brandon and I gathered what little public information there was at the time and tried to offer some helpful tips to stay safe and sane. Admittedly, we gave some bad advice that we've changed as time has gone on, but some things haven't changed, like practicing basic hygiene and keeping your living space clean. Yeah, I think the good thing to think about is just go to whatever you think is going to be a really trustworthy, reliable source. So a lot of what we're pulling is from the CDC website, uh, local, you know, departments of health, you Mm -hmm. know, anything from that nature where the messaging is going to be very consistent, which is good. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. So try your best if you can to avoid just like Karen maybe the Facebook. general news yeah. or yeah Karen uh and, Karen. sorry to my friend Karen uh <laughs> but other people named Karen um who are maybe just sharing things like just make sure you're checking um what they're looking at and make sure that I would just say that you know you want to start at probably the top level wide reaching thing yep. like with the CDC so the the top kind of 
focal points we we've made references already washing hands mm-hmm. is always important yep uh you shouldn't be surprised that washing hands is important hopefully you do it on a daily basis yeah. in some capacity uh just do it more frequently mm-hmm. if you can at a minimum whenever you are doing it wash for a bit longer yeah uh, the recommendation is 20 seconds mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot maybe or doesn't sound like a lot i don't think it sounds like a lot but then when you stand and you try to do it yeah it feels like a very long time um, and I think one way to translate this and make this viable is you can add a little fun to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this yet, but it's really making the rounds yeah. this week about songs yes. and other things you can have mm-hmm. playing to help you wash your hands for the right amount of time. Yep. A lot of love for Outkast, mm-hmm. which is fantastic here yep. in our local Atlanta community. So you can play certain songs that you know get the beat going and, mm-hmm. and kind of last for a little bit of a uh, period of time there for you. So you just it just flies by, whatever it is. Yeah. But 20 seconds, just keep it in mind. At a minimum, just be washing hands. The year of 2020 brought us quarantining. It has been rough, but we look at our experiences and how it made us feel and how our parenting stories have changed. There was a stark sense of feeling much more down this year and having to spend more time with our kids in isolation plus working at the same time was not always a blessing. We dig into the beauty in the madness the silver linings we found, and especially how that helped us when we weren't even looking for them sometimes. What I've realized um, on the silver lining is that I'm forced to spend more time with my son. Mm -hmm. And I am generally happier when I'm playing with him, but it's difficult because I have so much time that I'm with him now to always just be playing. It's very tiring. Yeah. Um, so it's just something that's interesting that I've found is like when I decide to stop and like read my phone or try to do something else, you know, I don't find it as enjoyable because I think too much about the time that we're in and how not great it is. But then if I just play with him for an hour, I don't think about those things. But yeah, it's exhausting. So I can't always be in the moment, but I, I spend more time in the moment. So I think that's that's nicer. Yeah, that's a definite benefit that uh, that added mindfulness. Um, it is something that we can use as much of that as possible right now because it is way too easy to get sucked into the news and see what the latest tweet is with the uh, the latest statistics and everything. Um, and you know, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. That I think we'll we'll save that for a future episode because that's enough to talk about on its own. Um, but yeah, that being in the moment with your kid is something that I, I found that too. And you know, to run around the backyard and blow bubbles or you know kick a soccer ball around, and you know to have that not just for the half hour in the afternoon when you get home and pick them up, but to have that in the daytime too. Um, I mean, it's a real blessing. It definitely is. There's, there's no doubt about it. In April, we got to talk with author Leslie Smith Grant about family nutrition and fitness. One of our favorite tips was how to get your picky toddler to eat their vegetables, something we've all struggled with. As you can, talk to your kids about it so they become familiar with things. Um, you can, you know, rename foods and, you know, like, would you like to eat a tree today? You know, a little piece of broccoli. Um, and just a toothpick chicken was one another guy had, you know, just sticking toothpicks in a little piece of chicken. Would you like some toothpick chicken? And just, you know, trying to make it a little bit fun, making it, you know, as simple as possible. You know, if your kids will eat foods that touch or don't. And um, at the end of the day, try to incorporate 
you know, like, you know, a, a couple of the food groups, the more fruit and veggies you can get in them, the better. If it's all fruit is fine. Um, the more, like if you're, you know, want to get them frozen um, veggies, frozen corn, a lot of kids like that, um, frozen peas. Um, but the more that you can sort of get a variety in them, the better. And if you can't, like if the only thing they're eating for four months is mac and cheese and, you know, chicken nuggets, then, you know, they're going to change. They will evolve. This episode, we talked to Heather, who is a healthcare worker who was pressed into a different service as a COVID ICU worker during the pandemic. We deeply appreciate our healthcare workers and Heather especially, and we enjoyed spending some time hearing her personal story of how parenting plus the pandemic uh, can really ramp you up to an 11 or more on the scale. We talked about how our daily schedules change due to COVID and parents who have to literally sanitize COVID off before embracing their kids each day. When you are with your, your family, have you changed anything about your parenting style? You talked a little bit about like some of the different concerns you have with your work, but how have you, you know, and your partner just kind of helped figure out how to get through each day as parents? I love that you asked this and like a, how have you and your partner, because that is absolutely hands down. Like, I think one of the best things that will come out of COVID is co-parenting. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think in both roles, I mean, I've, I've had the luxury of my husband getting the kids ready in the morning because I go to work so early that he's yep. always the one that is like, he's like Mr. Mom. And then some parents who like the husband goes to work and the mom stays home. Now the husband is seeing like what they're dealing with. So I have full respect for what like <laughs> the morning chaos looks like now that I'm mm. home for some of that. And it's just, I think that's been the best part is there are no rules. I'm taking the co-parenting and zero expectations um, to the 10th degree. Like if the kids get cranky, guess what? It's time for a three hour walk and 800 snacks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Love it. Yeah. In the stroller. And we'll have popcorn and peaches for dinner some nights. And all of us end up crying at bath time. I mean, I've had bath time at 3 PM some days just because I can't do it. And like the baby doesn't want to nap on his normal schedule. But mm -hmm. I think we just all have to like adapt. And like you said, do the best we can. Um, the house is a disaster, but then sometimes organizing it makes me feel better. So I'll say, guess what, kids? It's time to go outside. Like, I've got to clean up because just mentally I need that. And some parents deal with stress differently. They love the structure. They love the organization. And this is, like, their time to thrive. They're like, man, I have more time than ever. I don't have an agenda. My kids are on a perfect schedule. And I, like, I applaud them, but that is not my cup of tea. <laughs> I'm actually finding that like the hardest part has been balancing a new schedule. So like if I'm getting ready to go into work at night, I need to try and take at least a nap during the day. And my four-year-old is like, why is mommy so tired? Or why like I'll get home at 8 a.m. and she's awake. She's up at 6.30. So um, she's looking at me and like she wants to hug me, but I have to immediately shower. I like try and rinse everything off. I have to sanitize. And she like thinks I'm being a jerk because I'm ignoring her. And then I go straight to bed. <laughs> so when I am up, I'm trying to just, whatever she kind of wants to do is what I'm trying to do. I don't think our kids are going to be impacted educationally in the way we think it is. Like they're not going to miss that much school. Like maybe it is a year, maybe it's not, but that's okay because they're not going to, 
every kid is going to be like that, right? <laughs> so they're not like necessarily behind the ball. So if she wants to snuggle on the couch and watch Elsa for like the hundredth time, I'm trying to do that because like you said, maybe I have less time or my time with them is, isn't the same as it was in our regular routine. Um, but, you know, it's that saying we hear the days are long, but the years are short. And I mm -hmm. really think that's how we're going to look back on this time in five years. Um, we'll wonder what the heck we were complaining about being home with our kids, <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, we're always wishing for a pause button and we have that. And it's kind of crazy not to have a social life on weekends. Um, but it feels good to a degree too. Absolutely. I, it's funny that that quote, the, the days are long, but the years are short. Not only did our guest last week say that exact same thing, but we've said that multiple times on this show because it is so true. And what you said kind of reminds me of something I saw a teacher post, I guess it was on Facebook recently in the middle of the pandemic. She said, basically, parents worry less about keeping up the education because we can catch them up when they get back to school when all of this is over what we can't fix when they get back is the emotional side of things so make sure you're taking care of them emotionally you know make make sure that the stress and worry and everything isn't rubbing off on them so much and that you're not catering to that and, and working that out and spending extra time with them because like you said it's time that you don't get back and now that we have it you know um it's, it's time to make the most of that. I think that is, I mean, that's some of the best advice that we can take right now. In May, Brandon and I got real about the anxieties, worries, and fears that hit us during the pandemic and tried to share some tips on how to manage them. There's positives to, uh, to kind of look at, you know, and what I'm completely waxing over is the crushing anxiety that I felt in the first few weeks of <laughs> quarantine. Um, I couldn't think straight because I was just thinking of like, what is this thing going on? And, you know, what am I putting myself at risk, you know, for if I have to run to the store to grab something and then come back? Um, it was rough. And I, I, I was kind of um, a little disabled by it. Like I, I was afraid to do certain things and I had to kind of shake myself out of that. My wife really helped me out with that. And uh, there are some things that I've uh, done to kind of help myself out with that. Uh, spending time outside has really helped, um, you know, getting fresh air and, I mean, it's cheesy, but hearing birds singing and, you know, and keeping your hands busy doing stuff in the yard is a good way to kind of ground yourself, uh, literally, you know, getting a little bit of exercise when I can, taking walks. Um, I mean, I've gotten into meditation, recordings to kind of practice breathing in and out, stuff like that, you know, is really good for managing anxiety. And it's something that you cope with on a day-to-day -day basis. I know a lot of people um, are coping with that, that uh, maybe hadn't experienced it before. It was never really a problem for me um, until... Yeah. Uh, you know, until the world was engulfed in a, in a critical pandemic, um, you know, go figure. Yep. <laughs> um, but a, a good day and there's a bad day and, and mm -hmm. uh, sometimes there's both. And I think we don't know what we're doing. I don't think it, I know we don't know what we're doing, but mm -hmm. the, the crushing anxiety is, is what it is. And there's the parenting side of it. And like, I, even though I could continue to maybe keep my son home with me and out of daycare, there's, there's another component that I get to be afraid of about where like his education, like and, mm -hmm. and, and his um, advancement, I don't know what we want to call it, right? Like we talked at length in episodes about why we chose daycare, um, you know, teachers who are certified and have educations um, in, in training to then teach our children. And there's a curriculum and like, we have 0% of that at homeschool taught by Brandon. Uh, mm -hmm. We have none whatsoever. <laughs> and so for a couple of months, okay, that's great. We're just hanging out. We're playing. Uh, we're having a good time, right? Uh, but, you know, I'm not planning a lot of activities. I'm not planning, uh, you know, a curriculum of any kind. Um, and that's part of my struggle. 
And if I did that for six more months, like, okay, at what point is it a risk um, or, or a challenge to my son's, you know, development or, or not even, you know, and I'm not talking like a mental situation, like mental development, you know, lags, but just like the socializing, the friend building, the bonding, just kind of the growth. Um, I'm also not going to pretend that like his healthy eating habits are at severe risk. So, you know, there's not enough anxiety as a parent. Uh, I right. think, I think we could use more. Yeah, um, totally. So that's, that's where I kind of get bummed out if I think too far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, okay, now I'm depriving the child. <laughs> it's well, but, but here's the thing though. If, if you really think about it, everyone is going to be on the same page when all of this is over, you know, because we've all been out of yeah. the loop together. No parent is being a 100% pro at the homeschooling thing. And I think we got to let ourselves off the hook for that. I, I, I think, you know, spending six months out of the loop, um, you know, if they're with their parents, you know, and they're, getting that emotional connection every day, even if they're not seeing other people. Like, I mean, you know, it remains to be seen. We'll, we'll find out years from now, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's going to do much damage. I think that, you know, we're going to be okay as long as we're remembering to hug and kiss them every day, you know, it, after we've sanitized, you know, after we've gotten back from the grocery store. Our wives are next level awesome, uh, even if we're just a little bit biased. Uh, we talk about how the moms might handle situations differently from us dads, and how they can teach us something about the experience. Jesse talks about his wife's magic with handling tense moments with kids and diffusing a situation. Brandon gets into his wife's creativity and making mommy magic in the blink of an eye. David, our two-year-old, when he's in a good mood, it's great and everything's nice and fun and easy. Um, But when he's grumpy, if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, um, Mm -hmm. or when he wants something and you're not giving it to him, or when you want him to do something and he doesn't want to do it, he gets very difficult. I mean, naturally, you know, uh, sometimes it's lying on the ground and having a meltdown. Sometimes it's running away and stalling, you know, by playing with something, pulling out a new toy. And what my wife, Ashley, is really good at is applying the right parenting response to that particular situation. Um, Whereas I... I have two modes, um, big softy who gives my son everything he wants and is like really slow and patient and sensitive with him and like strict totalitarian where, you know, my answer is no, I don't care how much you want something because I know what's good for you. And I know that that thing you want is not good for you. So I'm not going to give it to you. Problem is I don't always know which mode to go into. So sometimes it's kind of arbitrary and uh, it can make the situation worse. So my wife's really good at stepping into these situations and saying, okay, here's a moment where we need to be patient and stepping in and being that soft, sensitive, loving mom, you know, that the kid needs at that time. And then sometimes where I'm being the big softy pushover, she knows to step in and say, okay, here's a moment where we need to push back, where we need to say no, where we need to give him boundaries. And I mean, it just, it works like magic. My favorite capacities about my wife, some of them are what I would call great inherited skills from mother to mother. She is a wizard improviser, as you kind of mentioned with your wife. She's got this this skill of like taking things, objects, sometimes no objects whatsoever, and creating a game or a variant of a game or a interesting thing to be focused on about the game. And so that's just something where I feel like you grow up knowing that you can just kind of create and be a little bit more magical and creative in that way. So she played music. I'm kind of getting into some of the longer term life stuff here, but like she played music, she can do a little bit of art. Her mom is really good at art. And so I don't know, she just has that creative bend about her where she does a really great job of kind of inventing magic is kind of what we call it. She's good at the mommy magic. Mm -hmm. 
Over the past two years, hosting the Dad's Planning Podcast has given us an excuse to do a little more research than the average dad, and as a result, we've become more informed parents, and we've learned to go a little easier on ourselves, too. I think that's another area that I've enjoyed about parenting in general and, and this show is just that I don't have to feel bad about the fact that me and somebody else are doing it in completely different ways or that we've never experienced the same things somehow. Or even if we have kids that are the same age, they're totally different. Um, we have totally different daily routines or plans about the routines. But, you know, the, the thing that I've, I feel about parenting is just that if I see somebody else parenting, generally, I just think they're doing it right. And that, that's my inherent belief. Um, and however they're doing it has, doesn't have to have any bearing on how I'm doing it unless there's something that maybe they've experienced that I haven't, or maybe that they're, uh, feel like they're doing a little, you know, doing well, and it's an area that I'm struggling with. And maybe then I just want some more ideas of ways to try it. But I don't know, I feel like that's been a positive is that it almost feels like it takes pressure off because my goal here isn't to be right. My goal is to just kind of experience parenting, um, share the information, uh, hear some information. And whenever I hear from somebody else's perspective, I generally just think, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, did you hear how so-and-so did it? Or, oh, that's interesting. Their, their kid is interested in this. I, I've never even tried that with my kid. Or um, my kid hates that. Uh, we, we'll never do that again. And it just, in some ways, it doesn't matter. And I think that's, that's kind of the cool part about it. Um, I don't know. I, I hopefully hear the, the kind of theme is like not taking ourselves too seriously, feeling like it's okay to do things differently, feeling like it's okay to mess up. Um, and if anything, like even being in quarantine mode, like we're in a survival mode. And that's kind of parenting on a daily basis anyway. Uh, we're just focused on surviving. And even if that's all we're focused on, I feel like that still means we're doing a pretty good job of parenting. We talked with Nico about his parenting experiences as a black father. The daily experiences in some conversations with his kids differ from our own, such as the aftermath of George Floyd and racial justice. But we also have the chance to talk about ever-present moments we all face due to the COVID pandemic. Because there's six, we try not to put too much pressure on them because what's happening in, in America right now is it's like we're back in civil rights times. You know what I mean? It's, it's deeper than just a white black situation. It's, it's deeper than a, a one incident. Now we're seeing several things and that's the scary thing because this is, I just was on Facebook and just saw they're starting to bring up other people who haven't yet recognized for their situations. You know, everybody's concentrating on one, but they're starting to come out. And so we talked about it and we said, you know, what do we do? What do we say? And when do we do it? Um, are they too young? Um, because my daughter just came to me the other day and it just kind of like, it, it lets you know that they're listening. They're paying attention to stuff. Even with COVID, they want to go out to eat. It's been a long time since we've been able to go in a restaurant, you know? And my daughter says, uh, I, I want to go out to eat. You know, I want to go sit down. And my son comes and says, we can't because coronavirus. And it's like, what do you know about coronavirus? You know what I mean? It's like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what do you know? And when that happened for me and for my wife, it, it made us realize, okay, maybe we take the approach of when they start to notice things, when they get a grasp of it mentally is when we bring it to their attention and say, okay, now it's time to have the conversation because clearly you've heard about it somewhere. You might've heard us talking about it. You might've glanced 
and seeing it while we were watching TV or something like that. So we kind of took the same approach when it comes to the racial injustice or, and the, the situation was happening. Now, you know, there's times um, where I am a producer. So a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm engaged in everything. And so um, I may, they may walk in the office and I may have my laptop up and I'm pulling audio or watching a video. And um, so what we decided to do is let them uh, bring it to our attention. Now, if it gets to a certain age when they're like 10, 11, 12, then definitely start to approach them with it. You know what I mean? And make it like, okay, let's sit down and have a conversation. But we wanted to protect their innocence. So we only bring it up when they initiate the conversation. Because I still want them to be kids. You know what I mean? I, I don't want them to feel like they have to weigh the burden of what a lot of adults are going through right now. I mean, because you have to think about 2020 has been a rough year. You know, it's, we went from COVID for what, we're still in it. Yeah. That's already heavy. People have, there's people without jobs. There's people, you know, no money, no food, you know, and then you go right into this and it's like, this is, this is heavy stuff. So I think for us, we really didn't want to burden our kids and just put the weight of it on them because six years old, you still want them to have some type of innocence. So my son did briefly ask about George Floyd. Um, and it became a thing because of uh, my wife and I were talking about it. He walked in a room, that type of situation. And we briefly gave him a small piece. This, this man was uh, allegedly, well, there's video, but <laughs> this situation is happening and this is why. And he knew that there was a cop, a cop involved. And so one of my main things was, and I'm, and I'm big on this, is to let them know that, hey, all, you can't judge everybody based on these individuals, you know, because they're, they're not all bad people. So it was very short, not too many details, and just, it, it, just enough so we didn't feel like we were lying to them, you know what I mean? So that's, that's how we handle it right now. Even with the COVID-19 pandemic raging on, the wealth of statistics available to us proves that our children live in a world that's safer, kinder, and more full of opportunity than the one we grew up in. This clip is from a pre-pandemic show, but the point remains, even when things seem terrible, they're getting better every day. When you look at statistics, really the world is safer, less violent, healthier now than at any other point in history. And the reason we see it as more dangerous is because that's just what we see in the news uh, for a million reasons. You know, that's what gets more viewers. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we're more apt to see the negative in today and see the positive in yesterday just because that's how our brains work. We are at war less. Your kid is less likely to die in war than we were as kids and that our parents were and our grandparents were. Um, there's less street violence. Homicide statistically is down. It's hard to to see that when you look on the news and see things like murders and shootings and stabbings and gang violence and stuff like that. But statistically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're less likely to get murdered today than you were 100 years ago. Even since the 90s, child mortality rate is half today of what it was in 1990. Half. 50% fewer kids are dying in the infancy phase mm -hmm. than they were when we were children. You know, that is crazy to think about. And that's due to so many things from you know, new ways to fight disease and new vaccines and safer car seats and safer ways to put your kid to bed. You know, there's less secondhand smoke than there is when we were kids because yeah. you can't smoke in public places anymore. Yep. You know, there's just so many ways in which 
honestly, if you look at it, if you look at the numbers, your kid was born in the best possible time for mm-hmm. a kid to be born in the broad scope of human history. Um, and I think that's something that is it's hard to keep in mind, but I think it's so important to think about if you're a parent that is afraid of things, that's afraid of the world, because you can't shield your kid from the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be afraid of what could happen and then for that reason just keep them in the house um, because that's no that's no life. Like, you're going to give that kid no life at all unless you put them out there and put them at risk of certain things. And it's important if you do that to think about, well— yeah, that's dangerous. You know, there are certain things that are that are going to put my kid in danger. But, the, you know, the things that were dangerous when I was a kid are no longer happening. Um, the things that were dangerous when our grandparents were kids, um, you know, yeah, your kid could die in a car wreck, but they're not going to be trampled by horse-drawn carriages anymore. Um, <laughs> they're not going to catch disease working in factories like our right. great-great-grandparents were. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're part of a group that historically has been abused, um, you know, there are still, of course, tons of problems in the world, but we are in the most inclusive, tolerant time in the course of at least American history. Yeah. Um, you know, we're safer, we're more peaceful, we're healthier, we're living longer. Um, and I think that that is just kind of um, salve. Am I saying that right? Salve? Salve? S-A-L-V-E? A salve, yeah. <laughs> is that another word that I've been mispronouncing my entire freaking life? I don't know. What are you trying to say? Um, you know, like a, like a, something to soothe you. Yeah, a salve. A yeah. salve. Okay, that is a salve for your fears. And uh, I don't know, that's just something that I wanted to put out there. You know, there, are, there aren't too many episodes that we can kind of put a positive cap on things because yeah. parenting, you're never done. You're never mission accomplished even when your kid has moved out of the house. And there are some things that you just can't resolve. But I think that's one positive way that you can kind of put a cap on a lot of things that we're afraid of as parents. So how do we have fun during the pandemic? Well, Brandon talks about going out to eat by literally being outside and spaced out or going to the zoo. A lot of places have made changes for safety in 2020 and we dive into what can work to get out of the house. We do our best to acknowledge the harsh reality, but also make decisions we can feel comfortable with as parents to give us and our kids a sense of normalcy and fun. A couple of things that we've done as well that I want to give a mention to. Um, mm-hmm. If if people are looking for ideas or want to hear about things that maybe could apply to them that they could think about. Yeah. Um, other things that we've done uh, lately is we've gone to our local zoo. We have also gone to a restaurant um, where we dined in, quote unquote. But the place that we chose is one where we can sit outside on a patio and obviously tables spaced far away. Um, the staff are wearing masks, et cetera. Um, and we're there for maybe an hour, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So we've tried that as well. And we have also gone to an indoor playground, um, which would normally be just the worst idea possible, possible you know, um, but um, has special restrictions in place where you can only sign up for a private session that is just for your family or you and one other family, if you choose, like max of four kids um, and nobody else is there and they clean in between sessions. Um, So there's always a caveat, right? And I think that's kind of the key is we have tried some things that have something to us that is clear in terms of a plan. Um, They've got one, two, three, four, five different points that you have to follow, guidelines, procedures, et cetera. Um, you're either wearing masks or you're always spaced out from other people or you're the only ones there in the case of the play place 
or whatever it might be that makes you feel comfortable. So I mm -hmm. would just recommend looking at places that you have liked to go in the past and saying, or figuring out what about them that they're doing that could make you feel like it's comfortable enough um, and safe enough for you to go do. Um, and I think I talked about the zoo. Um, the, the things yeah. that they're doing is that uh, while it's public and a lot of people can go um, and you can't limit it to just you, they do timed entry. A lot of places that are more public spaces are doing that where you have to sign up for a time slot so that they kind of manage the flow. We thought again that the zoo was the perfect fit. It was the first thing we did um, outside the house was the zoo because it's outdoors. And again, just what we understand, outdoors is your safest option. Uh, being inside the confined space is less safe. So yeah. outdoor zoo seemed fine. Um, the zoo has indoor exhibits, but they're all closed for that reason. So you have to be outside the whole time. When you kind of roam around and you go up to an animal, there's lots of area to stand. And they have different spaces clearly laid out on the ground that are six feet apart. Um, so you know that you're staying away from people and they have kind of employees managing the flow and then something that they did at the zoo which i thought was really smart that obviously that can't apply everywhere is that it's they turned it into completely one way you go in you go all the way through and you come back around and then you're gone as soon as you've made a lap you have to exit you can't recirculate and everyone's flowing in one direction there's no crossing pads or whatever so i think that worked out really well only a few instances where you were you felt like you were close to anybody and that was really good the play place, nobody else was there, like we talked about. The restaurant, you're six feet away. We were outside. It was fun, and it was good to be outside, and it was good to eat someplace. Nobody was around. So it's just, it's just all about what items on your list of safety guidelines are covered. Do they have a plan? Does it make you feel comfortable? And then anything you can do outside. This summer, we talked with Travis, a father of twin girls. One of the best nuggets from that interview was his tip on communicating expectations with your partner so you're not setting yourselves up for conflict. Communication is key though, I would say, because like there was like the unspoken expectations at the first month or two that were not being verbalized. And then after they were verbalized, we understood what each person needed from the other one a little bit better to make sure that this would be successful. I think after you can verbalize the unverbalized, then it just sort of becomes concrete. <laughs> That's something I want the listeners to kind of hold on to and keep in mind for their own uh, relationships with their partners. That's something that can really cause a lot of friction, especially in the early months when you're not getting much sleep, so you're irritable anyway. It could be as little as thinking that your partner's upset about something and holding on to that and wanting an apology for something that they said because you think they're mad at you, but it turns out they're just sleep deprived, so they didn't understand what you said and they you know, they were confused. The more that you communicate, you know, at any stage in your in your marriage or relationship, the better. You know, so if there's something that you're expecting your partner to do and you feel kind of miffed or even resentful because you feel like they're not giving it to you. I mean, that's something that they can't know unless you speak up. And uh, I think that's something that we can all relate to at one time or another. And I'm really glad that you touched on that, Travis. So once you all started mm -hmm. communicating about those things, um, did that help at all? Yeah. I mean, and I think the it was actually probably more me not verbalizing things than her. Mm. Uh, so it was just me needing to make sure in that case that I was stating would you like me to do this would you like me to do that <laughs> so mm -hmm. or just starting to do it you kind of mentioned um yeah. the the thing about how you just kind of fall into place 
Um, and it, it creates a, a wonderful kind of symbiotic situation where you're just like doing something in the background while your wife is doing something with the kids. And But what you're doing is helping the process move along either in the moment or for the future. And uh, Jesse, back in the beginning, we had an episode that's probably still one of the most important, I think, on the mental load. And that can be a challenge. And what we're talking about is communicating about it helps it not just be in someone's head, but that doesn't mean that there's not pressure and anxiety and stress going on. So, you know, for the dad side of things, um, just get in the game and do things that you see if you can. Um, to your point, Travis, ask if you if the thought occurs to you. But even if you don't know what to ask about, you can just be picking things up. You can be cleaning bottles. You can be doing whatever. And, you know, for the spouses and, and the wives, you know, we can tell you, like, verbalize to us, you know, communicate to us, bring it out of us. Um, that's great, but you guys are super busy a lot uh, in the early days, and we can't help with some things. So, you know, hopefully the dads can you know, take that initiative. Go outside. We talked with author Melissa Stewart about nature, the joys of being outdoors, and her new book. There's no shortage of opportunities for wonder just from being outside. Even finding a worm or an ant on the ground and surprising yourself at how fun it is just to sit back and watch. I think getting kids outdoors is so important. And even if you live in an urban area, there are most likely still parks or wooded areas that are near you. And, you know, it doesn't, kids, they don't necessarily have to see the both, the biggest, most amazing animal, even observing an earthworm or even watching mm -hmm. an ant to see where it's going can be pretty thrilling, especially if, if you're four years old, just watching an ant for an hour could that could be really fun and you probably would be really surprised by some of the places that it goes and some of the different behaviors that you can see it engaging in as a seinfeld fan i was so excited when the show's theme song composer tv musician jonathan wolf agreed to come on dad's planning and talk about his life as a father of five at the end of the interview he shared some sage words to encourage any parent at any stage mm -hmm. keep doing it and when you mess up and you're gonna mess up just kind of dust yourself off. Don't stay mad. Do it again. And eventually the kids will recognize that, that you didn't give up. Okay, that one didn't work out well, but you didn't give up. And that's kind of what I still do. And I expect I'm not through messing up. Right. <laughs> I'll make a few more mistakes as a dad, but the best you can do is try not to repeat them. Jonathan, I want to know what has been the most rewarding thing uh, over the past quarter century of being a parent for you? It's hard to quantify one most rewarding thing. I guess every day now when I look down at my phone and it's one of my kids calling me and they're grownups and they're adults and they have their own lives and they're busy. Uh, yeah. One's a neuroscientist and one's a biochemical scientists and they're all busy, wow. but they take the time to call me. And the ones who are in Louisville take the time to stop by and we visit in the backyard. So that mm -hmm. to me is the reward. That's the gravy from somehow surviving a lot of difficulties. Mm -hmm. Our parenting is not always easy. And unlike, well, music, I'm not always very good at it. I don't draw myself towards things I'm not good at. I don't play golf because I'm not very good at it. Mm -hmm. But somehow I was able to keep, I was willing to be bad at being a parent long enough to get yeah. good at it. Right. Because <laughs> unlike me, I don't like being bad at stuff. 
uh, and it has paid off. And that's the most rewarding thing is that now I have an excellent, wonderful, loving relationship with each of my kids. It might sound like a fluffy platitude, but there's scientific evidence behind the idea that showing affection to your children makes them happier and better equipped for life. We dug into the research behind the subject and offered some practical tips on how to be more affectionate. I'm gonna start out by specifically focusing on an article called The Science of Affection, Why Showing Love to Kids Matters. This was written by Dr. Allison Escalante for medium.com. And really it's just a review of different studies, one of which comes out of Harvard University, of the positive effects that a childhood in which your parents showed you warmth and affection can have on your well-being. Things like uh, how satisfied you are with your own personality, uh, how much control you feel that you have over your life, and uh, you know how comfortable you feel within your community. It basically gets at the difference between the overall thought of, yeah, you should love your kids. Great. We're all on the same page. Thanks for having the podcast. Bye. <laughs> but rather, why is that important? And more than why is it important, like we probably all think it's important because it makes them happier. They feel more loved. Those are all good things. I like numbers. I like data. Uh, as a parent, you want something to back it up. So this just kind of gives it a little bit more to say, no, really, like here's why that matters. It talked in particular about the difference between how you might just focus on health outcomes and instead some outcomes that have to do with like mental, physical well-being, how you feel about yourself. I think they refer to it as like life satisfaction or yeah. self-satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So not just if you're more loved, you go on to be in a better situation and then you're healthier, but you go on to be in a better situation and you have better relationships with people or you feel better about yourself and your own personality and your own kind of way of doing things. So I think that was kind of an interesting and sometimes like it might come naturally for you, especially if you had parents who did these things as a kid, like as, as a kid, I know my parents were, they, it was, the house was never short on I, verbal I love you's. There were always mm -hmm. like lots of hugs and kisses and like, you know, it's okay for a dad to hug his son. It's okay to say I love you at the end of every phone call, that kind of thing that continued on into adulthood. And now I'm passing that on to my kids. But, you know, if your household wasn't like that growing up, if it was more of an unspoken thing, these are things that you can just kind of consciously remind yourself to do, you know, it's, it might seem unnatural to say, I love you, but like do the unnatural thing sometimes when, you know, when Ashley was pregnant, it felt unnatural for me to talk to the belly, but she had yeah. to convince me that yes, he can hear you and it's going to have an effect. So I just did the unnatural thing and it paid off. Like do it, give the hugs, give the kisses on the forehead. Don't worry. Are they too old for this? You know, or is it paying off or it feels weird? Just do it. And on top of what you're already doing as a parent, it's going to have benefits. We discuss how to go through buying a house as a parent. Brandon and Jesse both agree that honestly, the best advice is to not take your kid with you when looking at homes. We wanted to imagine our life with our kids in a new home, and that ended up making some houses we looked at seem more fantastic than they truly were. When we went solo, we found it to be the wrong house, and we avoided a potential mistake in the making. The first thing that I want to point out, and Brandon, I'm sure y'all tried to take advantage of this as well, is just to rely on family as much as possible when you're in the process of buying, like find a sitter, whether it's a grandparent or somebody else, so that you can really focus on walking through this house and kind of asking questions with a realtor and you're not having to constantly keep an eye on the kid as well. Was that something you guys had to do? Yes, that was actually number one on my list as mm -hmm. well. And probably the most important buying aspect. I mean, touring the home without the kid is kind of how I've, I've thought about it. 
because we did both because uh, there were times where we had to go like right after work and we would take him and it wasn't terrible. Um, our son was about two and um, it was really difficult because he just goes around and he looks and he plays. And so you're distracted like you're talking about. But what I kind of realized, what we kind of realized through our process is we had a specific moment um, where we had him with us at one of the houses we were looking at. And, you know, you're trying to do the imagine yourself in the house feeling. And so I actually think it was a challenge and possibly led to mistakes having our son with us for that kind of aspirational imagining moment, because it seemed like it was a lot easier to imagine having him live in a new house because we were thinking all about him and being like, oh, he'd be so perfect and happy here. Look at him. He's running around the house. He loves it. Oh, look, there's the yard. He's running in the yard. So I started projecting uh, seeing it, my son in the new house and like all the things I wanted out of getting a new house for him and setting him up in a better, like safer place, not on a busy road. And so I sold myself on the idea a lot easier. Uh, what ended up happening is we put in an offer, we went under contract, we were back at the house for the inspection and we were without our son and we were walking around and we're like, hmm, you know what? I don't really feel it. It just didn't have the the right feeling any you know in that moment without him and we're like i don't know if this is the one uh, i don't i don't know if this is quite the right house and like it was just a totally different experience uh no toddler means it was quiet <laughs> you have freedom to look around like you're talking about we saw things that you know it's not like it's wrong but you know there's there's nitpicky little things about any house and so we're just like i don't know if this is the one and we just pulled out yeah, You know, we were in the like one week, two week due diligence period. And we were just like, no, this isn't even it. It's not even a question of like bargaining for a price. It just isn't the house. Um, and we like had kind of made a decision to go in on an offer kind of because we had our kid with us versus when we didn't, then we kind of took a more critical view of it. And I think that's really important. So I, I 100% think try your best not to have your kid with you um, or maybe even do like a swap in and out. Uh, like one parent goes solo and then the other one comes in, you know, maybe the kids in the car and you're like trading off or you're both get a chance to tour it solo, whatever it has to be. I just think that can be really critical because that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that could have been, you know, a hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm not saying I'm rich. That's just how much a house costs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like mistake. I mean, it wouldn't have been a critical error, but you know, buying a house is pretty permanent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so it, it kind of spooked me to think about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, and the truth is, let's be honest, guys, a, a kid is going to have fun anywhere. Like a kid will have fun in a garbage right. dump. So, you know, if you're <laughs> you experienced with that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, the feeling, you know, that we talk about when you're looking at houses, that's important, yeah. right? It's important to go in yeah. and say, okay, this feels like home. It's not the only factor, but it is important. But yeah. if you're kind of, if you're bringing the kid into the picture, it is important to remember that just because your kid, you know, is running around and enjoying the yard and, you know, having mm -hmm. fun, like that's great to, to see that. And then you can visualize that. But keep in mind that they would probably do that at every home you go to because kids yeah. love to run around and an empty house means lots of space to run around. And, and I'm seeing that right now because I've still got empty rooms that my kid is running around. This fall, we talked about the dreaded favorite parent syndrome when a child starts clinging on to one parent over the other. One of our takeaways is pretty simple. Just don't let it get you down. Keep in mind that your value as a parent is not based solely on how your kid responds to you. You know, just mm. because your kid 
doesn't want to spend as much time with you right now as they do with the partner, that doesn't mean you're doing things wrong. That doesn't mean that you're not a good parent or that you're not valuable and useful. Um, you may just in this phase of life be the provider tough parent mm-hmm. that is maybe not the fun one, but the one that is providing for all the things that that kid needs. And that is yep. just as valuable and just as important and just as necessary. Yeah, no matter what, you're doing the job. And if a child develops a preference, it's most likely not because you're a neglectful and terrible parent. Um, it's right. because you're a perfectly solid, wonderful parent. And, you know, it's just that a moment in time, the moment can last way too long, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe it's a cliche or just too, too simplifying, but just thinking about the fact of like how lucky you are that uh, a child loves one parent very strongly, like that's because you are a part of that parenting unit that creates that environment. Kids get sick, they have aches and pains. We talk about common ailments from colds and coughs to ear infections and rashes. Common tips on stocking up on syringes, key medicines, and more abound. We even learn Brandon spent years unknowingly failing to treat a common rash as probably more from his son. And when you are kind of administering those pain relievers, um, one sort of parenting tip is to keep them in one place so that you don't have to run like all around the house looking for the infant's Tylenol, you know, mm. when your kid oh, has God. a fever. So before they're old enough to take them, you know, in a little cup or sort of just injecting the liquid into their mouths, keep multiples of those because you're bound to lose one half of it, you know, because it comes apart and pull it apart and wash it after every use, no matter how late at night it is and how tired you are, because if not, it will get very sticky and it will get gross and it'll start to collect things. So, you know, keep multiples of those, keep them centralized so you don't lose them and just keep them handy. Yeah, what ends up helping is um, when you get a Tylenol or an ibuprofen or any of these things, they'll come with the syringe. Keep the syringe even when you toss the bottle when you're done with the medicine, then you get the next bottle. Guess what? Comes with the syringe, boom, now you've got two and then you're just accruing. At a certain point, you'll have 30. Uh, yeah. And that starts to look weird. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just a good good pro tip. Throw away the medicine once it's gone. Keep the syringe. Joel Larsgaard from the How to Money podcast schooled us on a wide range of financial topics. But my favorite piece of advice was something he dropped at the end of the show. Why it's important to apologize to your kids. But I think the thing that I realized the most being a dad (laughs) that I don't think anybody told me ahead of time is that you should apologize to your kids. I think that's such like a powerful thing when I'm able to tell my kids like, hey, daddy messed that up um, and I'm really sorry. Or I I was impatient there and I really, really shouldn't have been. And I'm sorry. Those kind of moments go a long way in building trust and creating just a relationship where my kids can then feel okay to confess when they've done something wrong or, you know, uh, and I, I don't know. I think that builds a really healthy relationship um, between father, daughter, father, son, mother, daughter, mother, son. And it just, so yeah, I would just say, be okay to tell your kid when you've been wrong. I think that's good. That's healthy. It's not, you know, it doesn't always have to be this top down sort of thing. Um, and when you can just apologize, I think it, it goes a long way. Books, books, books. We discuss how critical reading is for kids and research suggesting we aim to read 1,000 books before kindergarten. Brandon provides some cool tips on how to sneak in opportunities to read at the dinner table, as well as going over our list of top books so far. Where I've seen a pile of books work really well is at the dinner table, because when your kid is in the high chair at our kind of younger age, you want them to be uh, trapped in the chair for the the length of the meal. You want them to stay. So we put some books at the dinner table, and now every night we read books during dinner, and we just have the stack. And so as soon as he sits down, he's like, all right, what do you want to read tonight? 
National Geographic Kids Editor-in-Chief Shelby Lees came on the show this fall to talk about the new kids book, The Coolest Stuff on Earth, and she also gave some great tips on how to get your kids interested in reading. When the parents are having fun and enjoying and engaged, the kids totally can, you know, they feel that, they pick that up and they know when you're bored reading a book, they may still ask you to read the same book like a thousand times, but they know that you're bored. So the more interested and engaged you are, you know, pick books that you're interested in and share those with your kids so that you're modeling for them how much fun it can be to read. And also, as you said too, you know, there's actually research showing that a lot of kids actually prefer nonfiction to fiction. Um, so don't forget about that. You know, there's a ton of really great nonfiction, even narrative nonfiction that reads like a story out there. Uh, check those out because your kids are still curious about everything in the world. So help them explore it. Something every parent learns in the pregnancy and delivery days is that your birth plan should be treated less like a strict instruction guide and more like a loose list of suggestions. Things don't always go the way you plan them, as we learned from Christy, who shared her birth story with us earlier this month. You talk about things like your hypothetical birth plan or how you want things to go. And I think what I've learned in life for me is that things uh, often go unexpectedly and not at all how I had planned. So for me, it was just more of a mental wish list of how I wanted things to go. But I was fully prepared for things to kind of go off the grid, which they, they sort of did. But because I was a week early and my doctor had no way of knowing that I would, when I would deliver, um, she wasn't there that day. She wasn't working that day. And I remember panicking on the way to the hospital, looking for her name on Facebook. Cause I didn't have her personal cell. I, and I was like, Hey, I'm heading to the, it's, it's go time. Are you like around? Can you come in somehow or pop in? And of course she, I don't think she ever like got the message and I never saw her. And, and then the nurses and the doctors there were phenomenal, even though I, I had not met them before, but they were great. But I think that's, that's a big one. You know, like if, if whoever your, your doctor is, you're planning on them being there, but you have to, again, you never know if you're going to be early or late. And then that person may not be in that day and you have to go, okay, well, this may be a team that I've never seen, but I'm sure they're going to do a good job. And it's going to basically be a similar experience. So that'll do it for this week's episode of Dad Splaining, and that'll also do it for 2020 as a whole. Uh, we would like to thank all of you for sticking with us through it. Um, it's been pretty crazy, but we've really enjoyed checking in with y'all almost every week and having conversations with folks on social media and sticking together as parents because that's what parents have to do. You know, it takes a village, and we've really enjoyed building this village with you guys over the past couple of years, and we're excited to continue building it in 2021. Um, we may or may not be back next week. We may take a week off with the new year and kind of get our uh, bearings. But we will be back and we'll be talking about some really fun stuff in 2021. Um, but between now and then, Brandon, once again, where can our listeners find us? Please give us a like or a follow on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find us at Dadsplaining Podcast. You can reach us directly, dadsplainingpodcast at gmail.com. And then you can check out this and every episode anywhere you get your podcasts. Exactly. While you're at it, please leave us a review and a rating uh, on whatever app you use for your podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us so you can get us in your feed. Typically every Monday morning or so, uh, pretty rocky during the pandemic, but we'll get back into a regular groove sooner or later. And be sure to join our parenting group, Dad's Planning a Parenting Group, 
on Facebook. If you've got a story to tell, uh, if you would just like to share your birth story, if there's something that you learned as a parent that you think every parent should know, reach out to us. Hit us up, dadsplittingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media, send us a message. We'd be happy to bring you on the show and share your story in one of our episodes. That's one of our favorite things to do. And if there's something that is on your mind as a parent, if you've got a question, uh, something you don't know, something you're kind of scared of going into it, reach out to us and let us know. Maybe that's something that we can address in another episode. We can do a little research and give you some information or just commiserate with you on how hard it is. Because sometimes in parenting, as Brandon and I have discovered many times, there's no answer. There's no solution. There is just getting through it and hoping that you didn't do too much psychological damage to your kid in the in the meantime. Um, but we're all going to get there together and we're glad to be going through it with y'all. So until next time, I'm Jesse. And I'm Brandon. And Brandon, I'm going to close this out with the last dad joke of the year and hopefully oh the worst. Why was the archaeologist depressed? He just couldn't dig it. No. Because his career was in ruins. Hey! <laughs> that's a good uh, one. That's, that's no problem. It's, it's actually not bad. I kind of like that. I took it from Reddit, uh, the subreddit dad jokes, and kind of adapted it for my own purposes. Folks, happy new year. Sayonara 2020. Hello 2021. We will see you folks in the new year. Stay safe and be well. The advice and opinions expressed on Dadsplaining are solely those of its hosts and guests and should not be substituted for the advice of professionals. If you have a serious concern about the health or development of your child, please consult with your pediatrician. If you're experiencing an emergency, please call 911. Don't listen to us. We're really just good for dad jokes. If you're enjoying Dadsplaining, you might enjoy this other podcast from our friends here at WSB Radio. Hello, friends. This is Jared Yamamoto from The Power Pod, and we are a weekly recap show where we cover the current events of the week. And of course, during these times, COVID-19 is on everybody's mind. We will cover the good, the bad, and the ugly regarding this crisis. We will be serious with the coronavirus, but we will also find ways to have fun with it as well. So be sure to check us out Saturdays from 11 to noon and Sunday mornings from 9 to 11 on 98.7 FM and AM 1340 WGAU or grab the Power Pod podcast on any of your favorite podcast providers or your favorite smart speaker.